0: Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien, and now Nicole Braddock Bromley.
1: Hey. Hey, welcome back gosh it's good to be back we took a little bit of a break but we were running a couple of unleashed groups in the last couple of months and it's just been so awesome watching these survivors go from a certain place and then eight weeks later just blossoming and flourishing and finding their voice and being little mm-hmm. badass survivors it's so fun to watch
0: and I love to uh just acknowledging how much courage it takes to say yes to the healing journey because it's actually easier and more familiar to stay in the pain and the trauma um, because we just need to keep life going and you can grind it out, but life's so much better on the other side of the healing journey. So just seeing people mm-hmm. stepping up and saying yes mm-hmm. is awesome. Just that first step yeah. is so incredible. Yeah.
1: And not only just for themselves, but gosh, the communities that we created each Mm -hmm. little group, you know, it's maxes out at eight participants. So that they all walk away saying, I don't want to miss all these opportunities to be together because we truly have like we're online, but we're creating these deep friendships that will last forever. And that has been so precious to see. I am really happy about what we're about to do today. Um, I have a special guest with us. This is actually a guest that I've kind of kept in my pocket for a long, long time because I knew whenever we finally did it, it was just going to be so meaningful and you guys are just going to adore this time together. Um, Our special guest today is Dr. Rachel Croto. She specializes in family medicine and is a certified practitioner through the Institute for Functional Medicine. Um, Dr. Rachel Croto is also my sister-in-law and one of my dearest, bestest friends. Thank you, Rachel, for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: This will be fun. Well, Rachel, you, um, I mean, obviously we are very close. I know your story more than a lot of people do, but truly I think um, what, I mean, we could unpack so much about your story and. I know you're an open book to that, which I think is really amazing. The vulnerability and the authenticity you show up with in your daily life, just not only in your practice, but just your friendships in your daily life. But just to kind of go to current day, Rachel, um, I think I I just really admire how I've watched you in your own healing journey um, as an adult, as a mom, as a professional, really wading through a lot of old things. You know, I think we carry a lot of old stuff, old trauma. Some of it's little T trauma. Some of it's speak T trauma. Um, some of it's just unspoken, like the culture that we grew up with, um, the communities we were in, the people that spoke into our lives. And we don't really know the impact that it has on us until it really has an impact on us. Um, and so I would just love, I just, I think you have, you are so smart and you have so much wisdom in so many areas, but a lot of it has come through truly diving in to healing um, and not being afraid to look at the hard parts. And, um, no longer listening to the voices of the past. I've seen that in you, Rachel, and it's so incredibly inspiring. One thing that you've talked about a lot lately is the idea of falling forward in recovery. And I wondered mm-hmm. if you would mind just kind of starting there, like what that means to you. Um, you know, obviously there's so many little details and parts to your story, but just what does falling forward in recovery look like to you, you know, like at this point in your life. hmm
2: Um, I recently was, um, attended a conference that talked about recovery and described recovery as being connection. And um, so connection, I would say to ourselves, connection to others and connection to, uh, you know, having a sense of community. And um, so I think in falling forward, I've really thought about that as I've been in my own recovery journey, which has been, I think, different than what a lot of people would think about as a typical recovery. Um, But it's been a situation of basically, in my mind, falling on my face um, and just having to face a lot of failure, regret, um, like life-altering circumstances as a result of living out pain that I really didn't understand like where it was generated from. Mm-hmm. And so um, in that process of having to like, face the reality of, of how I was wounding myself, how I was wounding people I loved. Um, I had to decide like, am I going to keep just trying to get back to where I was like, mm-hmm and, and get some semblance of what originally had been normalcy for me, or Mm -hmm. was I going to deconstruct and look at the ways I had been conditioned that had gotten me to this point and then reconstruct, like take the parts that are authentically me Mm -hmm. and recognize those things were always there. Like, and, and that they had not been lost. They had not been, um, you know, something I could never access again, that it was there for me to claim and like fully claim and, mm-hmm. um, a way that was just a shedding of what no longer served me, but, um, yeah, a reclamation or a reconstruction. So,
1: yeah, that's so relatable. I think too, especially sexual abuse survivors, you know, so often Mm. even in our Unleashed groups, there's a lot of conversation around, like, I just want to get back to the person I was before what happened, before Mm -hmm. the hurt, before the pain, before the betrayal, whatever. And it's like, do we though? (laughs) Because this thing that happened is still a part of us, still affect us. And um, I think what you're saying is so just, it's very real of like, can we focus more on this thing happened? Okay. There's parts of me from before, and there's mm-hmm. parts of me after that I want to be. And and how can I look at myself as a whole person and sort of decide where I'm going from here? And mm-hmm. falling forward and recover, I think makes a lot of sense. Um, I think you also brought up something really important. I think it's relatable with. The fact that Rachel, you from the outside, I mean, had it all together, you know, Mm. like everything looked and you were brought up in a certain way and, you know, professionally like you're going places, you've got, you know, the relationships, everything looked but on the inside it was like that's what didn't make sense to you. It's like yeah. why do I have and you can name some of those things that you felt like you mm-hmm. needed to find recovery from, maybe mm-hmm. fears mm-hmm. or insecurities or whatever, but it's like it's so interesting how oftentimes the outside doesn't match the inside and we're just thinking what do I have to heal from? What do I need mm-hmm. to recover from? But yeah. truly you did the deep dive. Um Because it it does take something to happen when we all fall apart, when those things have to match up versus, you know, being willing to just look at it and, and and look at it for what it is. And, and, and it's not like you're trolling for trauma or triggers. It's not like you're doing that, but it's more just making an accurate assessment and saying, listen, everybody tells me that this is how I'm supposed to walk. This is what I'm supposed to do. And these are all the boxes I'm supposed to check, but I'm doing all of that and I'm hurting and Mm why. And I think you've Mm -hmm. really done a lot of navigating. If you could talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. A few things I would say. Um, one is I think the inner confusion that I knew was present, but I didn't understand why it was there. Um, And that was really because there were things about me that I didn't have, I was never given a framework for, or I was told to deny the reality of those things. And um, I guess I would, I would just extend to that the fact that I, you know, I was not, um, I didn't undergo like childhood sexual abuse, Um, but Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers, I hope I'm going to like paraphrase what she said um, accurately, but she talked about the reality that being raised in a purity culture um, dynamic and that the teachings of purity culture essentially in her uh, research ended up bearing out that people who grow up in purity culture and with all of those um, expectations put on them to essentially, as females at least, deny your sexuality, um, that in doing that, um, it produces the same sexual shame that people who are sexual abuse survivors go through. So again, trauma-wise, I would not correlate them Mm-hmm. But in terms of the actual experience of sexual shame, and I think that reality that we can have different experiences, the pain, the way it resonates in our body, the confusion that it creates in us, the responses it creates in us, I think very much are similar experiences. And yeah. so in a way it me- like mimics it because I remember when yeah.
1: we first had these conversations, you had sent it and you were very, very careful and compassionate mm-hmm. and empathetic toward me. And you had shared with me some studies, some articles and um, just, you know, wondering my thoughts about it. And at first mm-hmm. I was like, Mm-mm, "Nope, yeah. like, don't, mm-hmm. don't you dare compare this. Right. But over yeah. time in doing my own work and studying it and looking into it, it does make so much sense. And I've seen it. I've truly seen mm-hmm. it. I've seen it in your life. I've seen it in the lives of many other folks um, where it does mimic the way that it, it um, manifests in the body. It's the shame. Yeah. It's the shame, right? It's not the trauma doing it, but exactly. it's the way that it mimics the shame and the body as you continue to grow, develop and relate to others.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I guess in part, and that's not like the full piece of my story, but I, right. I guess I just want to encourage people that, um, cause a lot of my story is that I ended up acting out in ways that, were very shameful to me. They were, they required my actions required me to, um, go in a direction against my values to live in a way that was incongruent with like what I value. Um, and I think that, I guess I just want to encourage people that if in their pain, they have experienced, you know, um, not only being traumatized or, Abused or, or you know, had confusion about the ways that they've been conditioned because of dysfunctional family systems. That that can result in wounding ourselves and other people. And I think mm-hmm. moving through that shame is a very challenging thing, mm-hmm. um, because there are things that we believe about ourselves um, that really can get in, in very deeply ingrained. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the, with my therapist, one of the things that she did with me was it's, um, a type of trauma therapy called cognitive processing therapy, but essentially you write the narrative of like what happened, kind of the big thing that you're stuck on that just keeps running through your mind all the time and keeps getting activated with other, you know, present day circumstances. Um, and it gets activated in your body and in your mind. And so it was really about addressing like the stuck points, the things I believed about myself, Mm. um, as a result of ways that I had acted out. And, um, Mm. you know, I think trauma does that. I mean, you know, it, it makes us believe things because we've often been lied to Mm. about, you know, um, being either internally, we've lied to ourselves as a protective measure, or, you know, we have literally been lied to, to be kept quiet. Right. Um And so, you know, working through those stuck points to recognize like th- where the truth lies mm-hmm. and also kind of that all or nothing thinking, or like mm-hmm. very moralistic thinking where it's like, I'm bad, I'm evil. I'm, you know, Mm -hmm. perfectionism, you know, it's because this has happened. It means all of this is true. I mean, you know, these are very like all encompassing ways that we can start to think that can really just keep taking us down, um, a negative path if we get stuck in those places in our minds. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That is an interesting point. I have, I have really heard a lot of trauma survivors talk about that as being a hang up point, you call it a stuck point, mm-hmm. um, in healing where it's hard to, yeah, to kind of walk through the both ends and the human
0: paradox, you know, um, yeah. in healing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This just talking about this makes me think about in my own journey and just all of the stuff that made me feel so out of control because, mm-hmm you know, like you said, internally and externally. And I remember taking that to my counselor and I specifically have struggled with anxiety disorder for 20 years. And she said, it's my inner self and my outer self banging against each other and my nerves and my thoughts and the things that have been ingrained in me, but trying to be a certain way on the outside and also battling internally who I want to be. So it's all this stuff just clanking against each other. And that comes Mm -hmm. out in different ways, as we said, manifesting itself in our bodies and our actions. And, um, Mm. it feels so out of control and so scary, but as we know, the healing is so worth it, but it's hard to believe that when you're in it, it was for me anyway. Yeah. 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 Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. No, definitely. I think that the reality of, I, yeah, I remember back in like 2016, which was the year that things kind of started falling apart for me and I was very focused on the idea of shame and what that looks like, like the, the hiding within ourselves, the hiding from others that that um, brings about um, the defensiveness, the blaming, kind of pushing and making other people like almost like a... Like a a victim-based mindset where Mm -hmm. um, we have a complete lack of control in our ability to heal and move forward. So I'm not saying, you know, you can be a victim where you were lost Mm and you didn't have autonomy or agency over your body Mm -hmm. or your circumstances. I'm talking about in the healing journey, being able to at some point move Forward, where that shame is not leaving us in this very like hiding blame based state. Um, mm-hmm. and that it's doesn't like eliminate the vulnerability. Respons- yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't eliminate the responsibility for, you know, to someone else of how they may have right. harmed you, right. but just having agency, taking back that agency that was, you know, taken from us and being able to move forward in a way that is no longer giving power to people who have wounded us. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Yeah. And,
1: and in a way, I think that's what you've modeled um, in your healing journey. And like like Mm -hmm. you said, like the last eight or so years has been reconnecting like the whole person, mind, body, spirit, to a place where you can trust yourself again yeah. that I think gosh, that is one of the most beautiful parts of the healing journey mm. when you're willing to notice things when you're able mm. to step out step out of all you can see is just what's around you and be able to just like, okay, these are my triggers you know, Mary, you and I talked about this recently, like my body can respond to the dumbest situation in reality. And I'm like, why do I feel all of this in my body? My brain is telling me this is so stupid.
0: Mm. What's going on is so
1: stupid. My body is telling me, oh my God, you have to survive. This is dire circumstance. And it's not, it's not at all. Um, And being able to in the healing journey, be able to look at that to how can I connect my brain to my body and tell my body mm-hmm. you're safe now. Like yeah. this isn't the same situation that it was 30 years ago for you. Mm-hmm. Um, That is so, so important. And being able to then trust yourself again, like learning to trust yourself. Do you feel like that was a pretty big process for you? What was that like being the whole person, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that I, I feel like I've generally been a relatively self-aware person, but I think that I felt like I needed to stay in the, just in the lines of what was created for me. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where the internal conflict and struggle came from. Um, so learning to trust myself I think was allowing myself it's kind of like I blew everything up like unintentionally like or unconsciously I didn't intend to blow everything up but when I did I had to figure out okay well now what does this look like to not abandon myself anymore um and And learning to trust myself has really looked like giving myself a voice. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and I mean, to the point that what you're talking about, like with your body, like something making you so anxious and you're like, this should be, this is pretty minor, like in the present day. um, Like I say, this
1: is so dumb. Like when I've been telling my friends, this is so dumb but what it was doing to me was crazy making. And I have to talk about it. (laughs) I have to process this out loud, but you're at first you're going to think this is so dumb.
2: (laughs) No, I mean, I think the reality is like, you know, even if I have to have a conversation with someone who's been in my life for years and I'm just have to own like the reality of where I'm at, knowing that they're not going to approve of it or that Mm. there's judgment about it. That I mean, yeah. the level of anxiety in my body that that has created, the my desire to like literally hide out and not mm-hmm. see those people who I know I need to have that hard conversation with in order to move forward in that relationship, which I do value. Like, yeah, like that example I'm giving. I mean, once I finally stepped into the discomfort and had the hard conversation. Yeah. I feel free. And I think yeah. that that is the thing is that freedom and peace now are like two major things for me. Like when I'm feeling resistance, um when I'm feeling a lot of tension, when I'm not feeling like there's yeah, an ease within my body, like those are signals to me, like I need to pay attention to what is going on. And mm-hmm. You know, from like a medical standpoint, you know, I, I don't know, it was probably 10 years ago or so, and maybe people have thought about this before, but the idea that the word disease is dis-ease, like suddenly stood out to me like this, Mm -hmm. we lack ease within ourselves and that's really sickness. And it, it manifests in us as, you know, our bodies talk to us in, in many ways um, where like living in that state of dis-ease actually does you know create unhealth and mm. um and so i think getting in alignment with ourselves is so important um
1: well, and I'm i would finding just finding
2: your voice go, ahead. go ahead. Yeah. yeah i was just going to say about like the you know when our bodies are reacting um mm. i think that's to things that we know are really rooted in something from many years ago um, working with Nate Postalway as a inner child healing coach, um, really, yeah, yeah. Nate, um, was really beneficial to me. Um, Mm -hmm. and again, I was kind of, I mean, my parents, you know, were very in many ways, like responsive emotionally to me, like growing up and that type of thing. Um, but there were things that I, I internalized, I I mean, in retrospect, I was a pretty anxious kid, you know, and, and I didn't recognize that for what it was. And certainly, you know, I mean, I think now anxiety is talked about in, you know, now having the internet and everything, it's, it's very commonplace, but, you know, when I was growing up, because I'm so old, that it, (laughs) it just wasn't something that was really acknowledged. And, yeah. I think to understand that like one of the things when I did um the coaching with Nate was looking at I had pictures of myself and um he said there was a picture of me at 13 and at the time it was in middle school and we had moved from where I had grown up we had moved to a different state and I just I remember a lot of internal confusion. I did not feel like I fit in. I didn't feel like I understood what was happening. Like everyone else was kind of maturing and I felt like clueless is the word I would use. Like I felt clueless. I didn't, I was, Mm -hmm. I didn't feel comfortable in my body and all this stuff. And he said to me with that picture, he said, you do not like that girl. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, it I did not understand fully what he was saying until he had me basically like I was just laying quietly, um, and was to like invite her to sit on the couch mm-hmm. and um, and to talk to her and tell her she was beautiful was what he encouraged me to do, and I literally could not do it. Like, I could not do it. Mm. It's going to make me cry. Yeah. And my daughter at the time was 14. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking, like, Rachel, you're a horrible person. Like, there's this girl sitting at the end of this couch right now, waiting, like, knowing that someone has encouraged you to tell her she is beautiful. And you literally are refusing to do it. Like Mm -hmm. your body is not even like you, I could not even make those words come out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. And I thought about if my 14 year old daughter was sitting here, Mm -hmm. how painful would that be for her to not have me be able to say that to her? Mm -hmm. And so finally, like, literally, I felt like I was writhing in my body until finally I had that just breakthrough of recognizing like any girl, any child deserves to be told they are beautiful, not just externally, but um you know internally that they are a beautiful soul, a beautiful person. Mm-hmm. And and I finally was like able to relax and like own that about mm-hmm. that 13 year old in me. And You know, it just really like he explained to me after he said, when you are distressed in your present day, Mm -hmm. it is because that 13 year old is needs something from you. And you have come through all of this stuff and you are now, you know, a 47 year old woman and you have what she needs. Mm -hmm. And so when our bodies are screaming out, about something that we don't understand going back to that child in us mm-hmm. who needs to be told, I've got you, you're safe, you're beautiful, yeah. you're loved, you're worthy, you're valued. That is what will, mm-hmm. that's one way in which we can start to experience it like is. that calming effect in us. Yeah.
1: It's one way, but I will say it's one of the most meaningful, um, deep healing ways to Mm -hmm. move forward in healing. Yeah. That inner child healing, that reparenting of our younger versions. We don't talk about that enough. Mm
0: -hmm. There's
1: so much power, especially for sexual abuse survivors Mm. who are abused as children. There's so much power in that inner child healing. And being able, I mean, Rachel, that story is so, so important. And I'm just so Mm -hmm. grateful that you shared that with us. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, just, yeah. Yeah. Just welcome grafting in all the little versions, all the little ages that were important to us, crafting them all in and welcoming them. And it's so interesting how a lot of times this stuff comes up when our kids are that
2: age, yeah.
1: Mhm. I mean, I'm going through that right now. You know, my oldest is just about to turn the age when I found my voice and I told about mm. my abuse, which then after that happened was when my stepfather was hunting us to kill us mm. and I lost my best friend, my stepsister. I, you know, we were in hiding and then my stepfather ends up taking his life. And so a lot of this stuff is coming up for me right now like Being able to look at that little girl who's scared to death, who's already dealing with all of the teenage crap you do anyways, not to mention, you know, having to tell about the abuse, shattering the family, um, fearing for my life for protecting my mom's life. And then Mm -hmm. dealing with the grief (laughs) of feeling like it was my fault that he committed suicide. I mean, all of that stuff, 14 year old me held, she needs me to acknowledge her and to welcome her in and to not just push her aside and be like, well, it was worth it that you told.
2: Mm, <laughs> that's what mm-hmm. I've done for
1: 22 years. It was worth it that you told, because we all should tell, we need to find our voice and speak up and speak out. And that's all gets better. Well, it does get better, but sometimes yeah. it gets really freaking worse. <laughs>
2: yeah. It gets better. Yeah.
1: And so that's been a new thing for me. I'm so glad you brought that up. It's so important for us to not be afraid of our kids turning those important ages we were, Mm -hmm. um, but to instead, you know, just stay open, stay Mm -hmm. welcoming to those ages and to know that it's important for us. It's important for us to, to say I'm listening. Yeah yeah and I think of, of love.
2: Mm-hmm. you know yeah definitely I mean the reality with parenting is when when we're in chaos internally like when we can't comfort the younger version of ourselves to be able to meet the you know the angst that a child is going through and their mm-hmm. own confusion is very challenging you know to right. yeah to be able to stay calm and grounded and not that, I mean, we're not perfect. Right. I mean, but, but just to have that awareness Mm -hmm. of even apologizing after the fact, if, you know, if yeah, you didn't, if you knew you didn't respond in the best way or whatever, but being able to, to own that and repair that, um, Mm -hmm. and model that I think is, you know, really important because, um, Yeah. I think there's a lot of times we end up just kind of nursing our own wounds as a result of things that kids, teenagers can say to their parents and, you know, So then we're nursing our wounds. And meanwhile, we've totally missed the reality of what they're actually experiencing. And what they
1: might need from us. And that is so, I mean, all three of us are moms. We are moms Mm -hmm. that are in healing processes and we're moms that are in healing processes that have a real main top three, probably goal of being the mom for our kids that they really need. And maybe being Mm -hmm. a mom we didn't have so Mm -hmm. that's a real goal in the healing process for a lot of survivors a lot of survivors listening would say yeah that's one of my top things like I want to heal I want to be the best that I can be for my children so they don't repeat this freaking cycle that we've seen I mean my mom my grandmother my great-grandmother they've all trauma survivors passing Mm -hmm. it down for generations because they didn't do their work they didn't heal and a lot of it it's not on them it's not like bad for them it's like more like they didn't have tools. They weren't equipped. No one was talking about this stuff, but now our generation is. So it's like, we want to be the best we can, but you're bringing up such a great point, Rachel, where it's like, sometimes we can get so caught up in like, I want to be the best for them that we miss what they're going through. Mm -hmm. And I think we can do it simultaneously. You know, we're doing our work. Meanwhile, acknowledging like, okay, but you also are a person at this very age that I need to show up for.
0: Mm -hmm. I need to show up
1: for little me and I need to show up for little you at the same time.
0: And that's Mm -hmm. difficult,
1: but I do think it's something that as we are moms of these ages, we have to acknowledge, we have to stay aware, we have to stay present, we have to stay connected, and we have to keep talking to our therapists and to friends who understand and can support.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So being able to find safety in our bodies, I think is really important so that we can then connect and have our kids feel safely connected and attached to us. You know,
1: that is such a good point too. I keep saying that to you, but you're making a lot of good points and it's bringing up a lot for me because I'm going through a lot of it at the same time, you know, that (laughs) default mode in our nervous system, Rachel, you and I talked about this recently, you know, We can get so dysregulated in our bodies based on little triggers that happen throughout our day or the fact that our kid's 14, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. it can, it can trigger, but this default mode, we have to find safety. We have to regulate so that we can treat other people with the kindness that they deserve or parent the way that we know is our best way of parenting, but we have to find safety within us in order Mm -hmm. to operate out of our best self. But can you talk a little bit about that default mode? It's so interesting to me.
2: Yeah. So I'm not a neuroscientist, but um, there was, (laughs) there's um, basically uh, different parts of our brain that put together are called the default mode network. And essentially it's the parts of our brain that are turned on when we're very much like stuck in our heads. So when we're not really Present and in the moment, um, we're either recalling past things or we're projecting fears about the future, um, and we're we're just basically perseverating. And it's very self focused, ego focused, where we are kind of missing like what's happening for other people or the reality of the moment. Um, and so it's it's basically us being. Yeah, stuck in our heads you know and and just going into a mode that is typical for us but in many ways can be um it doesn't really serve us that well and so um it's a part of the brain that can be activated a lot with depression with substance abuse or substance use disorders um and so you know it's there's ways i mean that's where mindfulness and meditation have been shown as you know, one way to really try and start to deactivate that part of our brain. Um, you know, I think also like being in that, like being more connected to the reality of like common human experience, like it's not an us versus them type of thing mm-hmm. that, or an in versus out group um, or with mm-hmm. our kids, like we're not, or our partners or, you know, Parents, like if if that's a relationship that we want to be fostering, just not seeing people as our enemies, but seeing the common um, common human experience that's there. And so, mm. yeah, I think that requires you know we tend to be very hard on other people when we're actually very hard on ourselves when we're stuck in a lot of judgment and and um, so learning to have more compassion for ourselves, mm. um, I think then extends to being able to be more compassionate with others. So again, when there's conflict happening, being able to exhibit vulnerability and honesty Mm -hmm. about what our fears are and, um, you know, emotions are not necessarily emotions are really the, it's the motion in our body, right? I mean, emotions are crying Mm -hmm. is, is there's a physical act to it, you know, um, feeling, fearful, there's a physical movement in our body and energy that is associated with that. That's very different than the thoughts that are just running in our head. Those are beliefs we have. Um, and so recognizing what is actually the emotion underneath this thought, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. being able to access that and move through that. I think, um, there's something called, uh, the change triangle, which, um, Trying to remember her name. It's a, another psychologist, um, Dr. Hillary Jacobs Hendel. I think it's her name, but she um, developed what's called the Change Triangle, and it's this idea that being anxious, depressed, or shameful um, would be it on an upside-down triangle would be at one corner of the the top of that upside-down triangle, and those are actually inhibitory emotions. So they're things that we tend to feel when we're trying to shut down the intensity of what the actual core emotions are that are trying to come out and like move through our bodies. So Mm -hmm. the core emotions would be fear, disgust, um, anger, grief, or sadness, um, excitement, including sexual excitement and joy, um, and being able to move through those rather than inhibit them, which is really what results in anxiousness or depression or shameful, kind of getting stuck in shame Mm -hmm. and that those things Mm can perpetuate us towards more unhealthy coping strategies, which is the other corner of the upside down triangle. But so you either end up trying to soothe an unhealthy coping strategies, the depression, the anxiety, and the shame, or you move through the core emotion, let that emotion move through your body. And then in the end, the result is basically calm, clarity, um, courage, um, I'm forgetting all of them, but it's, they're all C Mm -hmm. words, but it's all um, (laughs) being able to, you know, feel that, that sense of ease and freedom and flow. And, um, so I don't know how I got onto all that, but basically just the point being that, um, you know, I think when we're stuck in that, Real headspace. Default. Yeah. Default. Um, we're missing what is actually happening in the moment and being able to connect with what's happening in us and what our true kind of core emotions are, I think mm-hmm. then allows us to be fully present for others too. Um, and these are not simple things. It, I feel like this stuff takes practice. It, it yeah. does take vulnerability. You have to know who's safe to be vulnerable with, which is. Mm-hmm. you know, um, another thing to learn and, and self-trust. How did that kind of, um, how did that work in your healing? I mean, I think
1: when you were really going through some of your darkest times, you know, from the outside looking Mm -hmm. in, it it was hard to know, like, who can I trust Mm -hmm. with this? Who can I trust with who I am with my processing right now? Like, you know, walking with people in pain can be, can be a, a, a big thing, but being the person in pain and not knowing who to allow to walk with you is another. Mm-hmm.
2: Definitely. I remember, I, I mean, I remember lots of different people. They could see I was not good. I mean, people literally did think I was on drugs, even though I wasn't because I was so, I, I looked strung out. I was very not myself. Like I don't, it was essentially almost a dissociated state that I was in because I was so emotionally overwhelmed, yeah. um, that I definitely remember having some very intense, um, times, um, you know, I went through, ultimately I went through a divorce and I remember at one point being in the living room with our kids. And I, I mean, I. I was running scared from myself. I did not know how to respond well to what was happening. I was extremely fearful, extremely shameful. And I remember just feeling completely detached and numb because I literally, I, but I knew I was, it was like watching something that was happening, a scene that was occurring that mm. I, I knew what I was feeling did not match what was actually occurring, but mm. I could not let myself mm-hmm. feel what was yeah. happening. Like I yeah. literally couldn't. And so all that to say, I mean, I, I looked very unwell. I was, I became physically unwell as a result of just not, um, yeah, it was a result of kind of I'm, abandoning myself and, um, and having a lot of disconnection too. Like it, it, I became sick, um, in a lot of ways. I mean, I ended up being hospitalized at one point for a kidney infection. I had like this terrible infantigo that broke out on my face, like just all these things that were happening. Um, you know, my weight was all over the place. I wouldn't eat. Then I was, I don't know. It was just a lot of, Mm-hmm. Unhealth, but, um, but I think in that people saw what was happening and they, you know, they were concerned, but literally it was like in one case, you know, checking in like what's going on with you and, you know, you can trust me and then me telling that person and then essentially being like having it thrown in my face, like Mm. literally within a few days, weaponizing,
1: Um, like their care mm. then turns into a weapon against you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, but Mm. I, I remember you reaching out to me and just very, I mean, I, I was not okay with where I was at. Like, I wasn't really needing people to be like, everything's fine with you because I knew it was not fine. Mm -hmm. I needed safety and I Mm -hmm. needed to be able to be honest in a safe space. Because again, like your whole thing, you know, with breaking the silence, I had to put a voice to what was happening. Mm -hmm. It like, until I could do that, until I could find safe spaces and I wasn't running scared, I could not begin to face the reality of where I was at. Mm -hmm. And so, um, starting to recognize that there were some people who were more curious, um, than they really were compassionate, um, was something that Hmm. I had to learn. And because I was so craving for connection, I, I wanted to trust people that I Uh, ultimately should not have trusted. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. so, but I, I mean, you know, you, I think for me were one of the very primary people who was able to exemplify creating safety, um, challenging me where, you know, it was, um, very appropriate to do so, but I I felt safe enough that I could receive those, um, challenges and encouragement. Um, yeah, it was, just a a very different thing. I don't think a lot of people can do that well. I, and, and create boundaries within for themselves that allow them to not abandon themselves in the process of walking with someone, you know, in a way that would maybe come, become enabling. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that is something that is challenging if people have not done their work. And so, Mm um, so it's, I really, appreciate you being a lifeline to me in Mm -hmm. very dark times you were there. So, yeah.
1: Well, it was definitely an honor. And still is, and Mm -hmm. I know you Mm -hmm. do the same for me. I mean, we all go through our, our dark moments, our lowest points and, you know, it's Mm -hmm. always good to have someone that knows you well enough to know there will be another side to it and they can just hold on to hope or the other side and just be that safe, that safe person to just, kind of barf on for a little bit because, you know, it's not always going to be like that.
2: You know, I see it with patients, maybe they've been hospitalized or they had like a surgery or an accident or something, and they just don't believe it, you know, in the, in that moment, you're like, will I ever be well again? Like, will Mm -hmm. I ever get my life to a place that feels like I'm functioning and whole and thriving? Mm -hmm. Um, and yet the reality is, it is possible. Um, you know, I remember I, I went to like a medical conference that was very small group for people who were exhibiting professional burnout in healthcare and, and basically the things that were manifesting in them as a result of that burnout. And, um, the psychiatrist at that said to me, you are on a five-year journey. And I remember being like, oh, this this sucks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's not what I want to hear. And yet he was right on, like, it was Mm -hmm. definitely accurate. Um, but you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, I mentioned like this lecture I was at the other day about recovery. Like he's like, recovery is not fun at the beginning. Like you, I mean, not that's ever fun really, but like Mm -hmm. at the beginning, it's just horrible, you know, yeah. like life is yeah. not enjoyable and you need people to keep reminding you, like, mm-hmm. this is not going to be mm-hmm. like that forever. And I remember, yeah. I mean, one thing I started like saying to myself at different points was the story is not over. The story is not over. The story yeah. is not over. That's and right. I had to really believe that mm. the story was not over.
1: Mm. One thing I think that I don't know that I was thinking this at the time and walking with you through some of your main pain, but um, something I think about now is that Brene Brown idea of shame can't survive being spoken and being Mm -hmm. met with empathy. Like so much, uh, especially abuse survivors who really struggle with codependency, it's hard to not want to fix things or yeah. You know what I mean like, but being in my forties now, I've walked with enough broken people to see, like, there is always another side. And a lot of it has to do with that person being able to figure it out themselves, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but having someone that simply can hear something and share yeah. with and keep it yeah. moving. And I think right. that was one of the biggest things. Like you talked about having boundaries with you during that time. Mm-hmm. And that was really important because listen, you're my big sis. Like you yeah. can do this. You, I know <laughs> you have it in you, but you are
2: really low. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was bad. <laughs> so
1: it's like, okay, I've got some time to listen and love you. And you can tell me the most batshit crazy stuff. And I'm just gonna listen, maybe laugh at you, you know. <laughs> maybe be like, wow, that's wild. Tell me more. You know what I mean? Like let just share it and get that shame out because you know what? It's not going anywhere else. I'm going to hear it. I'm going to tell you that was really hard or that was really messed up or gosh, wow, that was really weird. You know, whatever it is, (laughs) but like, we're going to share it and it's going to land here. It's going to land really softly.
0: And there's mm-hmm. not going to be
1: any judgment and I'm not going to tell you how to do anything differently. I'm not yeah. going to try to, I'm not going to try to interject myself into your life, your relationships, your choices. I'm not going to fix anything for you. Cause that's on you. If I yeah. do it for you, it's not going to go anywhere, but South for us, both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was one thing I think I've learned and I've learned that through hard relationships that I've lost. Like, yeah, yeah. But that I think was really helpful for both of us to see you get to where you are now. Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. like to trust yourself again, to be at home within your own body. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh my gosh, to accept yourself, to be the amazing mom and the partner that you are. And Mm -hmm. I mean, a friend, like it's just so cool to be able to step outside of someone else's life and just be um, a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. and love other people in the midst of their darkest moments. We all can do that. We all can. Yeah. Sometimes it's really hard for us to do that. But um, yeah, just that shame not being able to survive when it's mm-hmm. spoken and met with empathy. That is gold. That is truly, yeah. I think, a motto that we can all be for other people. And I hope that that, does it also point towards the person in pain, finding their safe people, you know, like if I can find someone who can be a good listener meet me with empathy, not be a fixer. Do you think, I don't know. I don't know if it, it flips to the other side, like what that they become safe people. No, like, I think it's important for the person in pain. What we start first started talking about was looking for safe people, how to differentiate between the people who just want to gossip about me and know all my right. crap versus being a person who's going to walk with me to the other side. Like, how do you yeah. notice it? Is it, it, yeah, I think it's I just think
2: like, I think our bodies do feel literally safe. Like there's a sense yeah. of, of, um, Calm and safety that exists there, where, you know, I mean, there are shame spirals, right? I mean, you can be revealing and vulnerable. And I think when it's when you've kind of overgiven in that way, afterwards it's like, oh, like I don't know that that feels good in me that I just spoke all of that to that person. And I think starting to pay attention to that as opposed to someone who is safe, I, I, I could be wrong, but I'm just trying to think about that. I don't think I felt that when I would share with people who truly proved themselves to be safe. I didn't have like a sense of like a catch in me or or regret, or it didn't send me into a shame spiral. Like it actually alleviated shame. Um, Mm -hmm. It didn't create fear in me. It alleviated fear. Yeah. So I think those are things that to pay attention to when you're trying to find safe people. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's helpful. And I, I do really, I used to be a fixer. I, I, and I default to that actually, yeah. but I yeah. work, I've really worked on that because I just know it's, you know, the people who were wanting to fix me per se, as opposed to walk with me. Um, like, like it was like their discomfort, their impatience with my process and experience Mm -hmm. created a lot of pressure and Mm -hmm. it, it, it did not, um, It didn't serve me well. Yes. You know, one of the
1: biggest things too, in addition to reparenting my inner child has been being able to trust the process. And that's for me as the survivor, the trauma Mm -hmm. victim, the one going through therapy, Um, being able to trust the process in so many different ways. But I think that's so true in finding safe people and finding your support or whatever you know people say find Mm -hmm. your tribe I kind of find that annoying but it's Mm -hmm. you know you know what I mean so I think it's it's finding people who are have the peace within them that they are trusting the process for you yeah you can be with them and you almost believe that there's going to be a better place later because they sort of seem that way. They seem Mm -hmm. to have more hope in the future than you do. They seem to trust the process that you're going through more than you do. And and in in some way, it almost helps you to kind of take a breath and ground Mm -hmm. yourself simply being in that sort of presence. And that's hard because you want immediate results and you want to feel like you're not the only one going through this, but, but I think that there's some sort of a piece that comes with that
2: definitely and i actually think this speaks very much to that idea of self trust is that when we are confiding in people who are fixers we're never learning how to trust ourselves we're we're not hearing our own voice we're not hearing you know like what is actually bubbling up in us that is the answer for us like like yeah. part of developing self trust is being able to feel something you know wrestle with it and then move forward. And mm-hmm. you know, I I think when you've got people always trying to step in and maneuver and you know fix Make out of their better. own discomfort. Yeah, like it ends up like we're still not learning to trust ourselves. And you know, I mean I would look for a lot of reassurance it, <laughs> along yeah. the way. And and yeah. I still have to check with myself sometimes because mm-hmm. I still like to Get reassurance, but yeah, the reality is, I usually pretty much know what the answer is. I just, yeah, you know, you need a I've second I've got my few. Can my someone few second people. this for me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I remember, you know, again, like referencing Nate. Um, with one of the things that he modeled so well in his coaching, and this would be a coaching thing to do, right? Is that he would say to me, like, "Are you open to feedback?"
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and.
2: You know, I really appreciated that and have tried to. I'm probably not real good at it, but I'm just, I've tried to be more aware. Like, mm-hmm. people are, they're not looking necessarily for your right. opinions and your That's solutions right. to, or their <laughs> exactly. solutions to your problems and stuff. Like, yes. Yeah. You know, so that said, question, are you open to feedback? Yeah. People
1: in pain don't need us to give them answers. People in pain yeah. need to be heard and they need to be loved. And if we can focus on those things, sometimes it's a bigger fix than going in and fixing something. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I am struggling with the fixing thing. Uh, I had to come to the realization with probably just in last year with one person, particularly that I'm very close to. And I always swoop in and rescue and rescue because I can't stand the suffering that I'm watching from afar. I just physically, it affects me because mm-hmm. I'm so close to them. So I've had to learn, number one, I am robbing them of an experience when I swoop in and try to fix. And also it's a disservice to them and it's a disservice to me. So I mm-hmm. had to learn it was actually more damaging when I swooped in than just being a support system and knowing that they knew I was here when they needed me, just as a soft yeah. place to land, as you already referred to. So yeah, I had to focus on that like hard truth. That that's not a way of loving. And I remember Glennon Doyle, she talked about the people in her life and her wife, Abby, and she said the way she showed love was by controlling. That's <laughs> not healthy. And she had to yeah. learn that the
2: hard way. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, I, I, as you're talking about like being the support system, um, you know, I have been reading recently, um, Dr. Sue Johnson, she was, is a psychologist who developed emotionally focused therapy. And she says that it's really not about co- there's really not codependence as much as there's ineffective and effective dependence and a support system. We need people. We are, you mm-hmm. know, as, as humans, you know, that are, have all our innate, like survival instincts we need to be connected. And mm. so I think a lot of times having dependency can almost be looked at as very negative, like, Oh, I should be independent. But the reality is, no, we do need support. We do mm. need community. We do need connection. That's why recovery is connection, you know, makes a lot of sense to me. And yeah, true. I think that reality of like, is this effective dependence? Am I, creating a connection that is effective for me as well as the other person, or is it ineffective? Is it actually damaging me? It's not serving them. Mm -hmm. You know, that I think is like something that reframes, um, what has often been thought of around independence and dependence. Mm. Yeah. where we honor one and we like look down on the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that idea of ineffective versus effective dependence, I think is like a reframe that I personally find very helpful.
1: Yeah, that is, that is because especially survivors, like we need each other. We need that.
2: Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, we, we tend to, when we've gone through hard things, or our needs haven't been met it's kind of like, well, I feel needy. I feel like mm-hmm. I am weak. I feel because I'm wanting some sort of effective dependence with someone. Yeah. and the reality is like, no, you're actually like meeting a need that is biological to to have safety right. and security mm-hmm. within the context of relationships is you know, that yeah. is what creates a lot of help for us. So I think
1: the alarms for me is like when my emotions rise and fall with the other person. Yes. Yeah. Mm And they're rising and falling, you know, can I be a little bit arm's length with that and not be controlled by someone else's emotions and needs, you know, can I be stable and yeah, be an empathetic ear available, you know?
2: No, I agree. I mean, I think that's, that tends to be a good signal for me too, that I'm getting, mm-hmm. um, too enmeshed in a situation mm-hmm. is when I'm getting frustrated or I'm starting to feel angst within myself because of what someone else is doing. It's a signal oh, to me. Yeah. Like, yeah, like I'm not, I'm not effectively yeah. <laughs> uh, participating in
1: this yeah, relationship. Or I'm not even mm-hmm.
2: present like with yeah. the people
1: that I'm actually with
0: or something. Yeah. Right. That's mm-hmm. really good. Yeah. You guys were just saying that with the rise and the fall of emotions. I don't know why I just got this image in my head where I've been there before. And I remember, Nicole, we were traveling once when we were speaking and I had my phone, which, you know, I don't like having my ringer on just in health of being present. But I remember with this person, I would have my ringer on and I was just always waiting for this phone call of jumping into action and who's bleeding, who needs money (laughs) and being able to be in a healthy place of having the ringer off. And I understand as a mom, that's one role I'm supposed to play. That, but in this other's relationships, it's not supposed to be that way. Yeah, and we have to say no to that. So mm-hmm. I don't need to jump yeah. the second a need. And comes
1: truly, in. don't you yeah. find? For me, I find like my go-to people, my safest people, the people that I admire, respect and would go to the most with my hardest, realist things are the people who have the best boundaries. Mm. And that has been modeled to me in my life. And I remember recognizing that like, wow, it's not the people who would do bend over backwards and, um, you know, just be a doormat to me Mm -hmm. that actually didn't feel safe. And I didn't Uh even respect it. So for me, it, I was noticing that and I was like, that's what I want to be for other people. And so putting up the boundaries for other people to come to me and know where I will end, where I start and stop actually Mm -hmm. created more of a framework for them to know how to operate in relationship with me. Mm -hmm. and became stronger that way. Mm -hmm. I just felt like there's so much power in those boundaries with you know, relationships and helping people in pain or, or being the person in pain and finding a helper. Yeah. The boundaries are just so crucial and it doesn't, it doesn't do what we think it's going to do, like shut yeah. down a relationship or be mean or, you know, at first you might have guilt, but you'll learn to get over it because they really make a difference. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, Rachel, this was so meaningful to me. I felt like we could talk forever about so many of these topics and more, so probably be inviting you back. Um, but I'm really excited about your new endeavor and how, you know, you've gone from this dark, dark place where you kind of just wanted to give up on everything and mm. then faced your fears, faced the shame, found your people you know, gone through so much therapy and worked on things. You're an amazing human being. You're so inspiring to me. You're one of my safe people. And you're now diving into a whole new realm of your medical uh, career in functional medicine. And I think it's really cool just how functional medicine is truly, you know, what we kind of talk about all the time is identifying Mm -hmm. and addressing the root causes of whatever you're going through. Um, Mm -hmm. so please tell us a little bit more about your new practice and where people can find out more information.
2: Yeah. So, um, I'm in the state of New Hampshire, but the, the practice is, um, gonna, it's called the deeper well, and it's, uh, the deeper well functional medicine. So, um, hopefully the name does, Convey the fact that you know mm-hmm. I really want to help guide people towards a deeper sense of wellness. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you know in our healthcare system, a lot of times, um, and in our culture in general, you know we're looking for a lot of band aids and quick fixes. But the reality is to um, to be well, you know takes takes really looking um, in a in a very integrated and holistic way at what isn't what's driving us to not be well. So, um, so -hmm. that's really, you know, I, I've been in a primary care practice for almost 20 years and, and I really, since day one have struggled there feeling like the connection with patients was very meaningful in so many ways, but I was feeling like I was like a square peg trying to fit in a round (laughs) hole. And Mm -hmm. it's been, it's really been something that I I felt very stuck in many ways um, in trying to figure out how to move forward professionally in a way that would truly inspire me. And mm-hmm. so on my own healing journey, you know, coming to an awareness of functional medicine, I was like, oh, like root cause, that is what really excites me. And connecting with patients in a way where we can together, I can hear their story, I can integrate for them, like where the pieces of their story really are playing into what has started to, um, you know, contribute to a lot of symptoms that people struggle with, you know, Mm. lack of energy Mm.
0: difficulty
2: with, um, you know, um, weight and risk for heart disease and diabetes and inflammation and skin conditions and hormonal imbalances. And all of that is, it's not like a one pill fix it type of solution. So, you know, the idea is really to personalize and create essentially like precision for each person in a way that the, the care or the plan of care is it's collaborative. It's not me just, you know, assigning to someone what Mm -hmm. needs to be done. Um, But it also is personalized in a way that is, is truly meeting what their goals are. Um, And, and I think that's mutually rewarding and beneficial. And that's really, you know, at this stage of my, like professionally, um, it's been very important for me. You know, I reference like having dealt with burnout to to really move forward in a way of like what, what makes me feel alive. Mm -hmm. And, and this kind of integration in health and wellness is really what um, inspires me. So hopefully Mm -hmm. I can, you know, bring that to patients in a way that they feel that same Mm -hmm. level of inspiration. And I feel like, you know, having, having, being able to educate and understand so that people can understand why making these changes whatever they need to try and work on why those things matter that's really i mean we don't change our behaviors easily you know what i mean so yeah. like to be able very change usually, here. yes exactly so to be able to understand like what is um the reasons for why things are important you know again yeah. keeping in mind what what people's goals are i think is is mm-hmm. really key so
1: yeah. Well, it kind of yeah. gives a nod back to what you were saying earlier about walking with people like versus just mm-hmm. like some quick fixes. Like now you're yeah. kind of migrating to a new way of being a physician and walking mm-hmm. with people in a deeper way, a longer way, probably spending more time looking yeah. at a lot more angles. It's just, it's mm-hmm. so interesting how it mirrors your true healing journey personally. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know definitely. the difference
1: that that's made for you. And now you're totally changing your whole career making a lot of sacrifices in order to really meet people in a way that, you know, matters. I think that's really cool. Yeah.
2: Thank you. It definitely feels like truly, um, leaping mm-hmm. off a cliff and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've been used to, a, a salary and benefits and all of that. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm a one income earner household. So, hopefully I can get this off the ground, but I, I also like this very much resonates with me in a way that feels very consistent with who I am. And so I, I've had to push through a lot of fear to get to this place. Um, Mm -hmm. but continuing to choose burnout over like risking something that I, that I really believe lights me up is, you know, like no longer was an option. So
0: Obviously we have completely different career paths, but I just resigned from my job at the end of the year, after 15 years, same thing for me, fear. I felt suffocated with actually cutting ties because I didn't know who I was just identity and people pleasing and Mm -hmm. letting people down and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And it's so rewarding when you make that hard decision for yourself, it works itself out. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Choosing
1: yourself, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's a big part of healing. And then obviously it translates to
2: our work us too. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, yeah. So the you. practice will, um, should be up and running in early 2023. So I'm busy working on getting that all off the ground. So, yeah, and what's the website mm-hmm. deeper, well, functional deeper,
1: well, functional
2: Yes. Awesome. And then, um on Instagram and Facebook with at the deeper well.
1: The deeper well. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I love this conversation. Yeah. Let's do it again. <laughs>
2: Thanks, Rachel. Thank, thank, thank you, you for so having me for
1: being thank awesome you. and for sharing your wisdom and being so real.
2: Also, thank you both. I appreciate it a lot.
1: Good. And I um, just want to also thank you for your love and care and compassion and concern for survivors. Um, mm-hmm. You've been a real voice for us. You've cared about our stories, the ones, you know, especially like in the church and just, um, yeah, like. I just, I just noticed that. I noticed how much it has impacted you, and the way that you want to be a voice of change, and that Mm. really um, speaks loudly to me. So, thank you for caring for us.
2: Thank you. I will definitely say, you know, as patients have shared their stories with me, I've, I've learned a lot from you about how to respond, and Mm. um, that's, it's allowed me to be more present, to be in the moment with them, rather than kind of. you know, feeling my own uh anxiety about about mm. just their story. So it's mm-hmm. really allowed me to um I think respond in a way that feels healing and safe for them. So I appreciate yeah just learning from you in that regard.
1: Yeah. Well we sure do need people in the healthcare system that can respond well and I'm grateful mm-hmm. you're one of them. So mm. thank you. Keep it up. All right. Love you. Until next time, Rachel. Thank you, bye. Before we let you go, I just wanted to remind you that our next Unleash Survivor cohorts begin in January. Registration is open on our website slash unleash We begin in January. It's an 8-week course with film, journal prompts, and live weekly meetings with other survivors of sexual abuse. It maxes out at 8 participants myself, plus other trauma experts. Also, make sure you check out Dr. Croto's website and her new functional medicine practice. Follow her on Instagram as she gets started. And also check out Nate, her coach, who is doing an amazing thing in the world for survivors. I really respect his work and admire him. His website is natewrights.com.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.